Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Today on Innovation and Compliance, we take things in a little bit different direction. Recently, Sean Friedland issued a challenge for friends he is linked with on LinkedIn to take Seattle University's free course, AI Ethics for Business. This challenge was accepted by several people, and I asked two of the participants, plus Sean, if we could do a podcast around our experience in taking the course. The participants in this podcast are Sean Friedland, myself, Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, Jan Tugas, and Patrick Hintz. We take a look at some of the highlights and strengths of the online course and some of the good, bad, and the ugly points. It is a fascinating exploration of a topic that is becoming more important for compliance practitioners, and I hope that this podcast will stimulate you to taking this course and thinking about many of the issues raised in it. We're going to link to the course in the show notes. It's free, so please go ahead and take it, and it provides multiple resources which you can utilize going forward. We're also going to attach some of the resources that were developed by the participants in this podcast for the questions raised in the Seattle University course. Patrick Hens, what were your thoughts around the AI Ethics for Business course? Hello, Tom. Thanks for the invitation. In fact, I found it very positive. Also, as due to my knowledge, it is the first time that a university offered such a sophisticated course for free. To start, what I found interesting, we have uh, three trainers, which uh, represents different topics. And uh, they are perceived, let's say, as good colleagues, and you merely may uh, say friends as they act uh, together. For me, this is quite a good idea also for normal compliance trainings. To be honest, if we see most companies, compliance is not independent function or maybe in, uh, just in a few very big global players, but we see it uh, in many cases together and integrated into the business, maybe together with risk governance or together with sustainability, together with ethics. So we see that, that compliance is more the, uh, in, an integrated function than an independent one as originally it started off. For this, as a compliance officer, I also have to have a holistic understanding and have to understand how my compliance processes work together with other parts of the business, together with the normal procedures and guidelines, tools, whatever. So I think this is a very interesting approach. Also, I think it's more interesting to see having two or three people acting together than just one person speaking about a topic. So I think this is something which we as a compliance officer may consider also for our internal training. Also, I think this is interesting as I said, uh, compliance is going together with other functions. This as we may perceive that we have less bigger FCPA cases than maybe 10 years ago due to this compliance also is under pressure regarding budgets. So has the need to integrate itself. 
Another interesting point is that you can hear it everywhere. Continuous learning is required. If you are finishing university today, you're entering a job, hardly you will retire 20, 30, 40 years later in the same job. So we all are working, will work in new environments, which we maybe not been prepared at the university, high school, whatever. So, of course, also continuous learning applies for compliance. And this has to include Industry 4.0, digitalization, digital transformation, as it may support us with different tools, as it may also be a new target group, because, of course, intelligent algorithm has to comply with rules and guidelines and laws as uh, the human employee does. Another important topic, which was, I think, not that mentioned in the course, is robotic process automation which can support us to automate daily tasks where we do not need uh, any kind of approvals. And also I want to align this with the latest SEC examination priorities, which defines that compliance has to be early involved in the development of products to assess if there are any compliance issues with the new technology. Of course, this related to IT and especially the financial sector. Coming to what you asked regarding the good, the bad, and the ugly, there are uh, three models. So each of the three presenters is responsible for one model. To be honest, model number one is speaking about psychology, like ethical blindness, ethics. So it's not completely related to artificial intelligence. So this model alone would be also relevant for all compliance officers. Because due to my understanding, we are not only here to identify the bad employees, but furthermore to protect the good employees, which includes protecting them against themselves as they could fall to numerous ethical pitfalls, ethical biases. Here it has a focus on two, which is group pressure, as it's quite classical um, social experiment, which you can find on YouTube. And also it addresses loyalty, which is a quite interesting topic. As we see the big corporate scandals over the last years, there had been a little bit less the typical bribery, but we saw various companies which had uh, bigger cases of false certifications, falsified certifications. And the same as classical corruption, such cases can get very expensive just only to mention Boeing, Volkswagen, but there are many other cases around. So I think this is an important topic also to address for compliance officers. And here we may leave a little bit our typical circles as this is a topic, for example, especially for engineering, which is normally not the biggest of our risk groups. And then we have the other models, which are more technical, like data collection, and this is more regarding continuous learning. As a compliance officer, we should have a basic understanding how are working digital twins with sensors, data collection, converting big data into smart data and act accordingly, safety of information, GTPR, etc. And then the last chapter brings everything together to understand the legal point of view if we are working with algorithms and big data. Uh, so I think this was the part from my side. So Jan, 
What struck you about this course? And what did you see in terms of the good, the bad, and the ugly? So thank you, Tom. First of all, I'd like to just echo something that Patrick said about the integration of compliance here. I think it's going to be critical for compliance officers to get on this topic. And this course is targeting a population that knows little about it. And so for compliance officers to understand AI is the first step and a very important step. What struck me the most about this course is actually right off the bat on module one, when they present the principles and the values that were adopted by major corporations, by professional associations like the IEEE, by some NGOs and government organizations. And it dawned on me that I think there are a multitude of organizations out there who are either using AI or creating AI and I'm not taking the time to think about what principles and what values they want to have to guide them in using and creating the AIs. And I think this is critically important. And I think it's a little different than looking at your code of ethics, because I think the code of ethics typically aims its values at decisions that are made by people. Meanwhile, when we talk about AI, we talk about decisions made by the machine or the robot. And so we need to put a specific focus, I think, on the people creating them or using them, especially the people creating them, and have a conversation around what should be our values, what should be our principles. So module one starts with this review of what exists out there. And I think it's a great starting point. But the first thing I thought was, I think a reorganization needs to have its own values and its own principles with regards to AI. Now, my next thought was, well, what do I think are the best values and the best principles? I think a lot of those presented in the modules are great, but there are two that struck a chord with me. The first one is transparency. It's a principle or a value that I like, just generally speaking, when it comes to ethics and compliance. But I think that with AI, the importance to understand how an AI is making a decision or has made a decision when something has happened and we're trying to figure it out is extremely important. And I'm not talking about the AI of Netflix that is just trying to put suggestions in front of you. How they get to that has little bearing on me. I mean, it's interesting, but I think that when we talk about AIs who will decide whether you can get a mortgage, whether you can get some insurance coverage, whether you're going to get this medical treatment versus another one, I think it's critical for people to understand how that decision is made. and. That my second value that I think all companies should embrace is that of agency, and specifically because of the first one. If we are going to use AI to make some critical decisions about people's welfare, both physical, mental, financial, emotional, we need to create room in the process for a human to make a final decision. So again, I don't need to be involved too much in the recommendations that Netflix makes for me, although I can, because it does ask me for every movie I've seen or every TV show I've seen, did I like it or not? And so I'm participating to the decision-making here of the algorithm. But when it comes to the other topics I mentioned, like healthcare and insurance, before a decision is made, I think a human needs to be part of the final decision review, 
how the decision was made. And the module or the course did a great job at explaining how when we build these AIs, we build them with a lot of biases. And so having a human that looks at the results and try to identify what those biases are is critically important so that we don't just blindly go forward and replicate grave mistakes as we rely on AIs to make those decisions. So those are sort of, this is what I like the most and struck me the most about the module or the course in general. You know, one concern I had when I thought about how so many companies don't move forward in creating their own values and principles, I think is because they're rushing to market. There's this pressure to embrace this technology so that we're not left behind as a company. And when I say the word pressure out loud, it reminds me of the fraud triangle of how when you increase pressure and there's an opportunity for you to engage in wrongdoing and you can rationalize it. And I think the AI environment right now offers this perfect environment. It can lead people to engage in wrongdoing. So if you combine the standard model of the fraud triangle with the great risks that AI offers, in addition to the great opportunities, because I'm a big fan personally, I think we need to be extra careful and make sure that we don't let this pressure to get to market and this pressure to adopt AI blind us from the homework that we need to do up front. Then in terms of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I would say for me, what I like the most as a practitioner is when they offer this operational readiness document in module three. Instead of being purely academic, this module actually gave all practitioners a really, really good tool that they can follow. If they're creating AI, it's a very short page and a half checklist that tells the creator, here are the things you need to think about in terms of privacy laws, in terms of the security of your software, in terms of creating trust with your users, the biases that we talked about. So I just jumped on it and I shared it with people that I know that are in charge of creating AI tools and even simple robotic tools, just so that they are aware of sort of a blind spots that we can have when we create something like an AI. So kudos to Seattle University for putting a very practical document out there in the ecosystem. In terms of the bad, I think that the user interface was a little weak, but I know that uh, Sean actually felt the same way, and I'm going to let him expand on that. And for me, the ugly piece were the quizzes at the end of each module. We went back, I think, in this module to the pure academic point. It reminded me when I was in school, and we would have to memorize the dates of the famous war treaties or peace treaties in the world. The focus of the test wasn't really what good did it do? How did it change the world? It was like, what date was the Utrecht Treaty signed in? And so I think the quiz should be modified and to make sure that people sort of understand the principles and they're well-equipped to move forward rather than remember what are the eight values covered into the Microsoft guides. Or Anyway, I thought they were poorly created. But that said, it doesn't take away from the fact that this, I think, is a great introductory course. And I think that anyone using or creating AI should spend some time and going through it.
Sean, what were your thoughts generally on the course and then any good, bad and ugly points? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Thank you for having me on. It's becoming a bit of a habit. I don't know if you have any kind of loyalty program where after my 10th appearance, I'll get something for free, but I think we'll find out sooner than later. And really a pleasure to share the stage with Dion and Patrick, two titans of the industry. I don't have the AI or compliance and ethics experience or in the field understanding of them. So my point of view is mostly going to be from the perspective of a consumer and someone who takes a lot of training as the director of product marketing at SAI Global, constantly experimenting with and taking our training on a weekly basis. And frankly, as a millennial who's constantly using technology and engaging with kind of online experiences through my phone. And I'll just caveat my next statements by, if you're not familiar with the work of Patrick or Jan, they both write a lot about these topics. I highly recommend that you follow them on Twitter and LinkedIn if you're interested in kind of hearing from their perspectives, because they're very loud and active voices in this space and really know what they're talking about. So I think I'm going to start at a real macro level before we dive into the micro kind of perspective of the training experience itself. The fact that we're even having this conversation today in 2020 about ethics and AI and the role those two things play in business is really refreshing and reassuring, I think. You know, anyone who pays attention to this space has probably seen the occasional think piece or article in a big publication around ethics and business and ethics and artificial intelligence and the role that that plays But I think that this training and this commitment by Microsoft really shows a general deeper commitment to understanding ethics and AI and business and really pushing people to think about it. And the fact that Microsoft as a company is thinking about it and the role they play in that conversation as one of the biggest companies and biggest technology companies in the world is really promising, I think, just the fact that they're really being proactive and thinking about their responsibility in relation to that acceptance from the public perspective. And to elaborate on that a little bit, the idea that a corporation like Microsoft partnered with an academic institution, Seattle University, to create free training that serves the wider public with really no strings attached, whether they think of that as part of their own corporate social responsibility, which is a term that we hear a lot about these days, and means something else to every company that really embraces it, or if it's the start of a larger initiative that they're running, I'm curious if this will happen more, if companies will look to partnerships with other academic organizations or kind of like-minded individuals to embrace this idea of corporate social responsibility through the lens of the technologies or ideologies or products and cultural kind of beliefs that they really feel strongly about and bring that to the public, right? You know, this is something that really Microsoft could be training about internally as part of their own compliance program or part of their own kind of education in their IT and tech and development teams. But the fact that they're willing to kind of share that conversation with the public and make it a focus is really pretty cool. And, you know, Jan, in preparation for this podcast, shared an article with us about how the Vatican has recently joined forces with Microsoft and IBM, I believe just last week, to promote the ethical development of artificial intelligence and call for the regulation of intrusive technologies such as facial recognition. And I never would have thought that the Vatican, Microsoft, and IBM would walk into a bar to talk about artificial intelligence, right? But the three of them are aligned on this belief that AI should respect privacy, work reliably and without bias, and consider human rights and operate transparently. So really what we're seeing in 2020 through this training, through this Vatican partnership, is Microsoft putting a flag in the ground saying, we're going to make sure that artificial intelligence operates the way that we believe it should, which is with an ethical kind of pillar. And that's promising, I think, for the future of artificial intelligence. Now, 
there's a big elephant in the room here, which is COVID-19 and coronavirus. And I think that it's worth posturing and thinking about a little bit, what does that mean for the acceleration or deceleration of AI in our society? Jan, you mentioned that companies feel a pressure to act and use artificial intelligence to some extent. And when does it come up? How do they rationalize using it? Does this kind of global pandemic and the implications of what it means for our economy and society ramp up that pressure and rationalize their decision to rush into it maybe before they're ready? The other real challenge in relation to this training and in relation to COVID-19 is the boom in now online learning not just in the realm of ethics and compliance or academic universities, but really now millions of people, students in elementary schools, teachers, employees that are now working remote are really embracing and adapting to online learning experiences in a new way that they haven't been in the past. And I think that it poses the question, and I think it's a question that kind of comes up in this training of what makes a good online learning experience and how do you translate something that might be traditionally in person, whether it's in a classroom or in a boardroom, to an online learning experience and and what makes that good or bad. And there was an article today in the New York Times around AI versus the coronavirus, which is admittedly, as a marketer, a very catchy headline. And fittingly, Microsoft pops up in this article again. I'll read a brief snippet. Known as the C3 AI Digital Transformation Institute, this new research consortium includes commitments from Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, MIT, University of California, the University of Illinois, University of Chicago, as well as C3.ai and Microsoft. And it seeks to put top scientists onto gargantuan social problems with the help of AI, the first challenge being this pandemic. So this new institute is seeking ways of slowing the pathogen spread, the speed and development of medical treatments, the design and repurposing of drugs, planning clinical trials, predicting the disease's evolution, and judging the value of interventions, among other things. So it is really interesting to see how oftentimes innovation is born out of tragedy. And and this is certainly a very scary and uncertain time that we're in right now. And I wish everyone the best and hope that the three of you and anyone listening are healthy and relatively okay right now. But I think that artificial intelligence is really going to be put in the forefront of this pandemic in the long term and short term. And the ethical implications of that action is certainly something to consider. Another company certainly in a unique position amidst everything happening and leaning on their artificial intelligence in a way that could really be accelerated more than they might have planned is Amazon. And I live in New York City where there's an Amazon Go store and there are 18 Amazon Go stores in Seattle and Chicago and San Francisco and New York. And Amazon Go, for anyone that doesn't know about it, is basically a employee-less grocery store where you walk in, you scan your phone, a barcode. You can grab any groceries you want. It's like a fully stocked deluxe 7-Eleven almost. And you just walk out. There's no cashier. There's no checkout process. And you just get a bill because the technology, the artificial intelligence and machine learning that they've built into these stores is capable of just knowing what you took, knowing what you have in your virtual cart, essentially, and then charging you. So if you think about the world right now where people are being socially and physically distant, A lot of people are unfortunately losing their jobs because they can't be in a physical location where they're serving someone face-to-face. And you have all these cashiers and grocery stores, frankly, who are kind of at the front lines of this pandemic, meeting people every day. Does Amazon Go suddenly become more widely adopted 
because it's this contactless grocery shopping experience and fulfilling that basic need of people need food, but lowering the risk of being contaminated with this disease, there's certainly a lot to unpack there and probably a topic for another podcast. But I think that the ethical implications of how artificial intelligence kind of adapts to this environment will be really interesting. Now, diving into the weeds of the training, overall, I thought it was very good. And who am I to criticize something that's free to begin with? And I'll agree with Patrick that one of the really good things about this training was the introduction of the subject matter experts in the beginning and having them as narrators and kind of anchors throughout the experience, popping up with little video vignettes in the beginning and middle and end of the training and establishing their credibility in the beginning. And they have this really strong relationship and dynamic as people who are experts in artificial intelligence and teachers. And you really feel that in the beginning and it kind of helps set the tempo. It makes me think about where else would that benefit? I know a lot of ethics and compliance training today, what you'll traditionally see, if anything, in the beginning of a course prior to it beginning is really maybe an executive message, right? Your CEO records a video talking about the importance of why you should take this training and pay attention to it. But rarely have I ever seen the legal or regulatory or cultural or behavioral subject matter expert who helped build a training experience in ethics and compliance actually say in the beginning, hey, here's who I am. I helped create this, whether it's Robert Bond, who helps write and create our GDPR training, or Ellen Cobb, who is a global sexual harassment expert and helped write our sexual harassment training. If you put them in the beginning and say, hey, here's who I am. I've been doing this for a long time. I helped create this. I hope you enjoy it and pay attention to it to just establish the credibility and the knowledge of the training that people are going to take. I'm curious if that's an opportunity or maybe a trend that pops up down the road, frankly, especially as online training maybe becomes even more prevalent than it is today, not just in the ethics and compliance world, but across all industries and all professions. I wouldn't go as far as to say anything was bad or ugly because I don't want to disparage the people who are kind enough to put this together to be polite. I will agree with some of what Jan said, right? I think that the UI and the design of the training really has room for improvement. And I think that part of when we discussed this in the past, Jan made the point to me, well, it's free, right? They don't have the huge budget necessarily to invest in building out this really modern, slick, dynamic experience. As a millennial, when I saw this article on Twitter about this free training, I clicked through on my phone, I signed up, and I started taking it on my iPhone. And I immediately kind of recognized that this was not designed to be mobile first, let alone mobile responsive, right? It's really not an experience, let alone a six-hour experience that I could take on my iPhone start to finish. So at that point, I pivoted to my computer, right? And there are little things here and there in the design of the course. If you take it on your computer, almost 60% of the space in the actual screen is white space that goes unused. And the experience itself is very academic and text-heavy. There are those videos kind of serve as the pillars and kind of bookends of each experience. But in between that is really text, 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 a link to another resource that is very text-based. So I think that what it really brings to the surface, whether it's this experience or any other experience that we're now thinking about through the lens of online learning and online training, is the importance of design. And how do you design something online that might normally be taught in a classroom or face-to-face with people that really resonates and connects and isn't just reading a digitized version of a textbook. So I think that's really interesting. We conducted a benchmark survey in 2019 that's coming out in a few months. And one of the key findings that we saw was that right now, only 35% of ethics and compliance programs deliver training on a mobile device. 
you have now an entirely remote workforce, people are working from home, does it make more sense to deliver that training on mobile or on tablets or give them the opportunity to do that? And if so, is your content that you're building a house or buying from a vendor designed for mobile? There's a difference between taking something on mobile or having it designed for mobile. And I think what this training really flagged for me, and I think will become a trend in online learning now that we're really leaning into that because of what's happening around the world, is the importance of design when it comes to online learning experiences. And even the most interesting, knowledgeable, professional experts on ethics and AI who are putting out this really great free experience to help people learn about it might have neglected to consider the design of the experience and how big of a role that plays in me taking it and really having it stick. So thanks, Sean. I wanted to provide some of my thoughts as well, and then we'll maybe have some uh, Q&A and I'll throw some questions out to the group. But as an exercise, this really drove home to me the need to start with ethical values and accountability for your entire organization. We've talked about the need to have this embedded in your design team and those responsible for this. But also, Jan really, I think, drove home to me the need to have this as a part of the people who are going to utilize this. He talked about having the human intervention at the final step, but it's also the human who delivers this solution. And it may be the human who interprets information that came out of the solution far beyond the design team who came up with this. And I really think the entire experience reinforced for me the need to inculcate these values throughout your organization, not simply having them in your design team, because everyone is going to be the person who uses AI, whether that use is through a marketing use, whether that use is through an analytical use, whether that use is through a detect law audit compliance use or other use. And the information, the transparency needed to determine how that information was collected and displayed and or used, I think is going to become more critical going forward. So it really drove home for me the greater need to have accountability and ethical values inculcated within your organization. And I thought the certainly in the opening panel talked about a lot of behavioral psychology and moral judgments and other values that I thought were a great foundation to start thinking about these. And in many ways, I found module one as powerful as any of the others simply because it forced me to rethink these issues, certainly within the context of AI for business, but also really just to think about them in the wider application of the tools, tactics, and strategies that we would use in the compliance profession as well. So I guess the, it drove home to me the need to have those values within your organization. The second thing, since we started this course session exploration, perhaps is even the better word. And I'm going to ask Sean to really articulate why he was so intrigued to call, put out his clarion call as he did earlier this month. But we started this really before we were all enmeshed in the coronavirus crisis. And so this crisis overtaking where we were and where we are now, particularly in the study of this course and certainly in the recording of this podcast, made me think and realize that those values have to be in place before there's a crisis. I generally think about it in terms of, I think as Jan articulated with the pressure that you would feel to bring something to market, 
and from the market perspective, the considerations that you would have and, and to make sure your ethical decision making is robust in that format. But in this crisis that we're now in, I wonder that compounded with the economic downturn we're in, is that going to lead to more pressure, double pressure, pressure of people who are isolated at home because they have to and they can't get together and they can't have that social reinforcement of corporate values that you can have when people work together. So it really also in the middle of this exploration and in preparing for this podcast, it made me think about having those values in place, having those values reinforced for a time of crisis. When I think of crisis management, I'm usually thinking, how does management respond? What's the PR play going to be? What are the employees going to say? What are they going to think? But now crisis to me is really a much broader definition. So it was interesting to have this internal exploration and in conversation with you all in the middle of this crisis. So that was the other thing. And Sean, you certainly hit upon that as well. So a great time to do this. On the good and the bad and the ugly, I also kind of shake out where you did, Sean. It's not so much that I don't want to say anything negative about somebody who puts out such a great course for free. It was just that I was just so happy that they put the course out. And if they wanted to put it out in the way they put it out, I'm going to give them kudos for doing that. I found it a great reminder, though, of why governance and structure are so important to compliance. There was a couple of sub-modules that talked about data storage, for instance, and I had not considered that at all in the context of AI for business or compliance. So the reminders about corporate governance, the reminders of the physical structure and the e-cloud structures or e-structures you might have in place were also great reminders for me. Overall, it was a very positive experience for me. For me, it was very academic. The three gentlemen talking with me now are incredibly curious. They are always learning. They're always studying. I have that moniker as well. So having this sort of course available was great for, for me because I always want to learn. But I do agree with Sean that I don't think this would work for ongoing communications. And one of the questions that I had posed to myself during the pendency of my study of this course was, how could you use this to create something for your own company? And Sean, really, you hit it on the head where you talked about it's the importance of design. How do you communicate the topics was what I was focused on, but you really articulated the other part, which is the importance of design. This certainly is not iPhone or smartphone friendly. And so for the next stage of this, perhaps that's something that someone could consider going as well. But for me, this was an incredibly positive experience. Having the community, Sean, that you created around this study guide and this course, having the three of you guys and others blog about this, pose questions, pose additional issues, pose additional study in the form of other articles that we could read. I thought started a great dialogue. So we're going to move into some questions. And Sean, I want to start with you about what was it that intrigued you so much about this course? And why did you put out your clarion call? Yeah, absolutely. So a few factors there from my perspective. First and foremost, very rarely do I see free online training around a topic of that nature that's Pretty interesting to me. Usually, if there is anything free and online, it's from my company or another compliance vendor who is 
leaning into an event and offering something for free for people to take. But this was Microsoft and Seattle University. I was very intrigued by the collaboration there and the fact that it was this free, self-paced, multi-lesson online experience. I knew Patrick is very interested in this topic and that other people probably would be too. And, and I find that in general, the nature of ethics and compliance training, particularly, which is the world of training that I'm most enveloped, you know, most people on this call are, is a very isolated activity, right? Very rarely do people take online training together in an office environment, right? Sometimes after the fact, a manager might have a facilitated conversation to operationalize some of the lessons from that training. But for the most part, it is very isolated and singular. And in fact, the week before this kind of came across my Twitter feed, a salesperson from my company reached out to me and they said, can we randomize the questions at the end of one of our training experiences? I was like, yeah, but like, why is someone asking about that? And they said, well, the compliance officer was asking because they were nervous or concerned that if the questions were the same at the end of the training, employees would share the answers and cheat. And I was like, well, that's really interesting that you would even flag that maybe as a cultural risk that people are willing to cheat under compliance training. That's a big can of worms there. But on the other side of the spectrum and perspective is, wouldn't you want people to actually talk about the training after the fact and have a conversation about it? Wouldn't you want to stimulate those dialogues? And if people are willing to have a conversation about that bribery training or that harassment training, that's probably a good thing for the overall compliance culture in your organization. So I was really in this mindset of like the pros and cons of collaboration from a compliance perspective. And then this free self-paced training came across my Twitter feed and sometimes the stars align and I kind of just leaned into it and put a call out. And thankfully, a few people responded and we're here now. And I think we had Patrick and Jan, who are obviously on the podcast today, but I think even four or five other people leaned in through Twitter or through LinkedIn. I put the call out on those two social media platforms and said, I'm interested. Like, let's do it. I don't remember everyone. I think Wendy Badger was one of them. I think someone from Navex, honestly, was one of them. A few other women in compliance leaned in and participated. So it was really cool because basically every week, Jan or myself, I think even Patrick would post, here's what I thought. And I tried to kind of facilitate the experience a little bit to the best of my ability. And I said, you know, this week, let's try the first module and then we'll do the second module next week. And what do you think? What did you like and what didn't you like? It was an experiment in action. I didn't know what would happen. I think it, the end result was pretty good. You know, we're all here right now. So it was nice to kind of have like seven or eight strangers really that wouldn't normally be partaking in this together, sharing this experience and learning from it from a bunch of different perspectives. Patrick, should compliance practitioners take this course or something like that? And should the compliance profession be involved in this discussion? Yeah, I think clearly, yes. And to shortly uh, comment on the design, I mean, this is clearly a training for people who are interested to get more information about this topic. So we have here a whole situation, which is, to be honest, mostly different than an internal compliance training where I have a push. And not all employees are happy if they get an invitation to spend 30 minutes, one hour before the laptop learning about compliance, especially in uh, low-risk countries as the U.S. or Canada. So clearly, an internal training has to be completely different designed. It has to not only to inform, but to motivate. And this was different with this free training as here. It was targeted for people who really wanted to go. And so the design was not that relevant. 
To come back to your question, yes, I mean, we see our work environment is changing. We are working with smart machines. We are working with digital twins in all industries. So AI is around us, if not today, in five, three years, clearly. And there, I think a professor from the MIT predicted that in five years, we all will have our personal assistance to suggest us answers to all potential questions. So as Jan mentioned is, we will have that, like in Netflix, I get suggestions what I should look. And sometimes these are interesting suggestions, sometimes no. For example, right at the moment, if I'm going to Netflix, it suggests me to see outbreak, pandemic. So all the stuff, honestly, with the news, I really don't want to see on Netflix because I want to see something completely different than the COVID all day long. So there you see that it's still not working perfectly. So important, a compliance officer has to understand how an AI works. It is programmed by humans, so it includes human opinions or negatively said human biases. And as AI will help us, for example, with continuous monitoring of outgoing high-risk payments of our vendor control, I have to understand how this works. Or Also, if I want to use it for some new function like compliance chatbot, which could answer frequently questions if employees not want to contact me or it's the weekend or whatever. So AI will be part of our jobs and for compliance, but also for our business colleagues. And if our business colleagues have to deal with artificial intelligence, I need to have at least a basic understanding to be perceived as a trusted expert, because if I'm the expert only for compliance, but I have no clue what is AI all about, then they will not come to me. So clearly, yes, I think every compliance officer who plans to be in this position uh, still the next years, I think, should consider taking this training or also Continuous learning, and this, I think, was a good part of the training, is that it links to external sources. So if you're especially interested in one topic, you can go there. As Jan mentioned, you can go now to the new website of the Vatican. You can follow even its Twitter. You can go to other pages. Just today, I found this trustworthy network from Deloitte. They are similar projects, as mentioned in the course, by the IEEE, so... I think this was a very good, interesting, and important training. So, Jan, if I could ask you, perhaps from your perspective, you sit on the ECI board, is this a discussion we can start having in our professional organizations? And I mean the compliance profession as opposed to perhaps ethicists or other organizations. Can we maybe lead the discussion on why compliance officers need to be so involved? Absolutely. And I think it should be part of the discussion. You mentioned the ECI, one of the Best pieces of research of the ECI is the model that they developed in 2007 or so with regards to minimizing risk in the organization. And it basically says if you have a strong program and you have a robust ethical culture, you're going to get four very specific outcomes that are all very desirable. People are going to feel less pressure to compromise standards. They're going to observe less compromise by others of the company's standards. If they do see something, they will be more likely to report it. And if they do report it, they're less likely to fear retaliation. So when you think about 
the first two drivers, having a robust program and having a good ethical culture, I think AI can play a critical role into this. I think it's easier to see it on the program piece, right? Uh, the program piece includes the controls, includes investigation, includes detection of wrongdoing. And when it comes to AI sifting through millions of expense report transactions or employee sick days and this and that. And of course, there are privacy issues with all of this. So I don't want to minimize that. But there's tremendous power in AI assisting a compliance officer and the compliance program in preventing and detecting wrongdoing. Again, it needs to be done the right way. On the culture piece, it might seem less intuitive right away to see how AI works, but let's, one of my favorite definitions of culture is that it's an outcome of your processes, right? So how you hire, how you fire, how you compensate, how you promote, whether you send emails to your direct report on Sunday, right? All these formal and informal processes that a company has in place influences the culture. And so I think AI can also be used to improve the culture. So if you're able to take AI, improve your program and improve your culture, you're then affecting those four outcomes that I was mentioning before, thereby minimizing risks. So I think it would be irresponsible for a compliance program not to look at how AI can help. I think it's definitely something that needs to be considered. Gentlemen, we are getting near the end of our time, but I wanted to give everyone a final opportunity or an opportunity for some final thoughts. We'll take the same order, Patrick, Jan, Sean, and I'll back clean up. So, Patrick, what final thought or thoughts might you have for us from your experience with the Seattle course and taking it? As I said, for me, it was very positive besides these critics, as we have mentioned. But as we all agree, it was a free course, so it's not really ugly, but something, some room for improvements. And I would invite our listeners to take a look on this training and also consider to, based on the idea of continuous learning, Individual look on the internet, on Google. I mean, you get also a lot of messages on LinkedIn in which direction you want to go because clearly as a compliance officer, our world in five years will be different than today. And I assume the COVID as today may even be an accelerator of this change. So you just reminded me, I wrote a very short blog post a couple of days ago that was titled, A Year From Now, You'll Wish You Had Started Today. It's a sentence that sometimes when you want to motivate somebody to start working out or learning a new language, right? It's always tomorrow. And you say, well, picture yourself a year from now. You're going to wish you had started today. And I wrote this in the context of the COVID-19 where I said, if some companies have worked over the last several years focusing on trust and accountability and this and that, this pandemic right now is easier to weather than if you didn't work on issues like trust. And so I think when it comes to AI, and at the speed at which it's moving, definitely a year from now, you're going to wish you had started today. And I think this is true of those creating AI and using AI, but it's also true of compliance programs that are just sitting on the sideline and waiting to see what's going to happen. I think they need to get their hands on a course like this and educate themselves and then partner with the business in addressing the benefits and the potential risk of the technology. Jan, I read that blog post. so. We'll see what happens a year from now. Maybe something works. (laughs) My closing thought, I think, Tom, is really about collaboration and transparency when it comes to training and and compliance. And if you just think about how this kind of all unfolded, I put out this kind of call to action. I'm going to take this training. 
anyone want to join in, really promoting the idea of this training before it happened. We took training. We took it alone, but a little bit together, but really alone. But now we're having a conversation about it, and it's really reinforcing and making me think about a lot of it again, applying some of the lessons, really expanding upon some of the things that we learned. And I really think that that is just really positive outcome. If you scale that behavior and really expand training beyond just that training experience and think about it and have these conversations more in an organization coming from the compliance team, coming from the manager level, coming from different employees, how does that actually help build that culture of compliance and how does that help operationalize and and cement some of those ideas or risks in a company? So really, I'm curious to see how the current circumstances in the world where a lot of people are working remote and having these kind of conversations not face-to-face and the kind of crossover with training and whether or not there is a greater opportunity for collaboration and conversation around these topics and, and what that what that results. Well, you completely stole exactly what I was going to say. And as usual, it was 100 times better than I could have said it. So I'll be forced to go oh, in a different direction, but you. I'll start with it. You know, said Tweedledum, ditto, ditto, said Tweedledee. Additional thing that it drove home for me is the holistic nature of compliance and ethics, that there is business ethics, there are moral considerations, and there are values and accountability in a company. There are the structure of a compliance program, policies, procedures, internal controls, corporate governance, and a wide variety of other areas. And it really all works together. AI amplifies all of that because of the speed and, or rather, the need for the human element. So it drove home to me. I'm a firm believer that this is just one more advancement of technology, but it's the structure you have in place that allows you to use it ethically. So I just want to thank everybody for being involved with this. And I always say this at the end of the podcast, but I really mean it this time. I hope we can continue the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. It would be a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.